Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne, and I'm here with a designer called John Mikulik, who's director of New Line Design. Uh, a very interesting guy. He's been coming up. He's just telling me he's been um, at this for nearly thirty years. Thirty, so that, thirty years this year, actually. Welcome to the program, Thank John. Thank you, Stephen. John, you're an interesting one because you seem to turn your hand to so many things. Um, residential architecture, furniture. You, you studied furniture at, um, at RMIT in the 90s and you did design programs at uh, RMIT. I mean, you, you, your boundaries are kind of, kind of everywhere. I mean, you know, I've seen commercial work from you, I've seen lighting design, I've seen residential design, and now you've got this new range of furniture, uh, lineal Correct. furniture. When does where, how do you kind of get your head around everything, or do you? I mean, tell me your story. Yeah, well, it's 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 been a a long, hard thirty years. I mean, as anyone in design will know, um, staying alive for thirty years is a, is an effort. So, um, and having a client base that um, repeatedly comes back, which means you're clearly doing something right. And it's funny, I you know in. Um, recapping 30 years recently I just there is a definite stepping stone from one client to the other to the other and it, there is actually a continuum of people who have interacted in, in my life over the 30 years and um, and it allowed me to do some you know wonderful work 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 with wonderful people that's the other thing you know I've had the privilege of working with some fantastic architects and interior designers and still do today you know in my practice John um you tend to, you know, the boundaries are quite blurred. I mean, I think I'd like to talk a little bit about um, the furniture because that's yeah. really um, about to be launched. It's you started this. How, well, how did that start originally? Because um, everyone thinks they can design furniture, but they well, can't. Exactly. I mean, during during the process of doing a lot of hospitality work and a lot of interior work with residential, you you end up by nature designing pieces that blur the lines between joinery and furniture. Um, and then, you know, something might get published and you'll get a phone call to say, oh, where did you get this piece of furniture or can you design something for me? And that was like the little incubator of how all of this started. Most recently, um, my wife um, gave me this article on the, the business of fashion and it was all about, in essence, the, the waste that comes about um, through the process of fashion and design and how things are we have this throwaway mentality at the moment and I made references to what we do as an industry in design and and construction it is full of waste and I thought well what has happened to the antiquities that um, people passed on you know we had um, you know there's a whole generation I believe has skipped um, handing down significant pieces of furniture to their children or their grandchildren. Uh, I think, um, you know, when was the last time that you actually uh, had a piece of furniture that you believed was worthy of handing down or you've kept and, and, and nurtured? Um, we have this mentality that let's get a piece of furniture. When we get sick of it, we'll put it out on hard rubbish and the problem just compounds. And it's like that in fashion. I mean, Vanessa exactly. Mikulik, who's been working in fashion for many years, obviously sees that on a regular basis. Yeah, End of season comes, 
you know, yellow is not the new navy or the new black, yeah. get rid of it. It's all, as you said, it's all very wasteful. But how do you start, you know, there's that idea, but how do you start going about designing a collection of furniture? Because this is quite a significant collection. It's yeah. not just one or two pieces. I mean, designers who are working as furniture designers, that's their main gig, come up with um, a piece of furniture. Every, you know, they release a piece of furniture every so often. This is a whole collection. So yeah. how do you start a collection of furniture and who were you trying to aim at? Um, I think the the premise for every, every piece that we, we've come up with here is that it needs to stand the test of time and it needs to be beautifully built and it needs to be made in Australia, it needs to be sustainable timbers, it needs to show the extremes of our craftsmanship that is still available in this country but not taking advantage of. I mean, I've recently listened to some of your previous podcasts where people believe that um, there aren't the artisans here in Australia, and I, I actually don't agree with that. I, I think there are artisans in there, but we're not taking advantage of them. Mm-hmm. There's some guys that have some beautiful craftsmanship that relish the opportunity to work on furniture like what we've been producing, um, which has been an absolute joy. Now, John, you're working with uh, Mark White, yeah. who's director of Ramvec, who's Correct. been in the furniture game for a very long time. Yeah. So that's obviously uh, one really strong connection. How did that, how did that relationship form? Uh, Mark and I have um, worked together. Um, Mark as contractor and and um, with us as the design firm for many years, and um, we had a very social conversation about our mutual admiration for beautifully designed furniture. And um, you know, he basically throughout the t- the um, challenge to me that to um, come up with a piece of furniture that we could actually go and market. Um, then I started, as all things in design, you start with this tiny little idea of a of a dining table, which led to the timeline, know, the timeline table, um, which is is essentially what it's what it's doing is we get a piece of timber, which is um, we, we time date it so we know exactly how old it is. It's quite a massive piece of timber. Um, we are then because it's cut through the middle. We can then see all of the growth rings within the table, so we can actually then pick the years within the growth rings, so then we can actually highlight those, whether we route them out and we fill them with silver or epoxy. So we're going to end up with this beautiful table that is actually quite specific to whoever we are building it for. So if it was my, if it was a series of birthdays, or anniversaries, or it could be a company and it could be their inception and when they listed on the exchange and. All of those sort of milestone points in that, that happen throughout, you know, people's families and throughout business. So, so it could be a boardroom table, yeah, a dining yeah. table, yeah, and, and you personalise it. Absolutely, because uh, everyone's timeline is different. Every piece of timber is different, and when you add those combinations, you end up with quite unique pieces of furniture. So that was, you know, the the very first piece, and then, which you know, is quite a grand piece, and then we thought um, we really needed to add to our collection and we started with um, working with um, one of my colleagues um, on a side table and and it was an introduction of a a particular leg profile which we call a lucky seven leg profile. That was Liz. Liz Dubay um, who comes from a lineage of um, design. Her uncle um, was a furniture designer in Australia. 
What was his name? Uh, uh, Dubay, and I can't remember his first name. Gerard. Gerard, that's it. Yes, well done. Um, and that started a, a beautiful side table and getting craftsmen who could copper plate this extraordinary leg detail. And um, John, it's the type of... But the Series 7 reminds me of the type of table that you would have once found in your hallway. Absolutely. You left keys on or, yeah. you know, kids came home in the 50s or 60s, dropped their yeah. bags or, you know. Correct. And, and we've done a whole series of these items as built-in furniture over the journey of designing residential. And we thought, well, you know, there's clearly a little niche here for something that's beautifully made that people will keep. I mean, these things are beautifully crafted and they're individual and um, uh, the pieces are um, quite um, quite unique. And then we moved on to um, doing um, some design work in a chair. We call this... Um, oh, it, was, it was It's like a, a bit like an armadillo. Armadillo, but the Australian version, my, my version, is it's a, like a slater or a butcher boy, as um, some people might understand. So it's a, it was... The design came from me wanting to design a chair that would envelop the body and, um, you know, came to me in a Sunday afternoon and I quickly ran off to find a piece of cardboard. It was a toilet roll and I sliced it up into sections and started gluing it together and um, um, it actually came out quite a delicate um, little piece that um, we're now getting manufactured and... Um, hopefully it'll be a success, but it's a it's one of those. How would you say it's kind of almost like a wraparound cocoon like chair? It, it with is. How many individual strips? Oh, that, there's about thirty odd strips that make up the the cocoon and in plywood, uh, in plywood, and then wrapped in leather in, internally, so that it will actually give you a uh, a soft um, comfort feel around you. John, how I mean, these are quite complicated designs, especially this one. Um, how do the manufacturers or Ramvac see when they get something as complicated as that? Is it something they go, look, John, can't you do me something simpler? Um, I think the challenge was laid down early by Mark. He wasn't going to be afraid of anything that we threw at him. Um, and we just work our way through it. We, you know, we, we make prototypes. I, I'm, I have always made marquettes, which kind of gives me an idea of how the pot, it could possibly come together. Um, and from that, we talk to to tradespeople and uh, work our way through it and adjust along the way, and uh, um, and we end up with some beautiful pieces. And 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 they all add to it. These craftsmen, they really pride, take pride in their work, and they add to what we do. And we, we end up with a far superior product. John, how are these um, pieces going to end up in people's homes? Are you going to be selling it directly, or is it going to be through a, a retailer? Well, we believe that we should be selling it directly. Um, we, we're uh, looking for a space currently, and w we want to have a high street pa um, space that uh, people can access. Um, I think relying on it being in amongst, um, you know, 20 other lines in a showroom isn't going to do this collection justice. And um, we want to encourage the fact that, you know, we're all Australian and we're Australian design and we want to encourage bringing on new young designers as well into our, um, into our family and, um, and work with them on encouraging Australian design and Australian-built furniture. There's one piece of furniture I'm looking at the moment. It's powder-coated. It's very angular. It's yeah. almost like 
origami that's been twisted several times, and that was in this uh, restaurant called the Duchess, Correct. which is opposite the Federation Square. Yeah. So that obviously was an inspiration. Yeah, that was, that, was, that was a piece that we started. Um, we needed a piece which was like a reception desk. Um, and um, the Duchess is actually directly opposite Federation Square. And, and the, the influence there of the, the shapes in the facade of, um, of Fed Square, you know, had a um, impression on me and I thought I needed to reflect that in a piece internally in the space and when we started working with it and again I created a little marquette and um, we drew it up as best we could and uh, gave it to a steel fabricator who completely um, immersed himself in this and actually made a scale marquette of it which we then um, went into production and so now we have this beautiful piece um, which is a desk um, with a leather top, and it's um, and it's a, a very prominent little piece. That, uh, uh, and John, that could be used for home or or office. Or office yep. When you're designing, do you actually see an end point in mind? Do you say, "Oh, look, I could see it working in this context," or is it just something the design comes first and then um, something I, I, becomes apparent? Design is all about, um, you know, problem solving and gaps in the market, and you know, you 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 go and look for pieces that you need yourself, and you decide, well, you know, I don't think there's anything out there that's good enough, so let me have a crack at it and see what I can come up with, and um, you try your best to um, fill that niche, and hopefully, the the public will understand what you're trying to do and appreciate what you're trying to do and appreciate the effort that's gone into it. And and if, you, if they can engage on all those fronts, I think it's something that they'll hang on to because it tells a story and, and um, they attach themselves to that story and hopefully they'll hang on to it and pass it on. John, um, look, in Europe, designers, architects, designers who are working with interiors um, regularly used to... Uh, be in command of furniture. So people like um, uh, Hoffman, Hoffman, Cabousier, uh, Joseph Hoffman, Cabousier, Adolf Loos, they all designed furniture. It's a very European Mm. thing. Here, there are a few architects and and interior designers who design furniture. It tends to be quite rare. They might do a one-off piece, get commissioned for a house, and then they move on. It doesn't get repeated. So this is quite a new idea in terms of taking furniture to the next level yeah i believe I, I totally agree and and i believe that um the reason that um the people haven't been at haven't or previous um designers in australia haven't had that opportunity is because they haven't had that manufacturing base behind them to support them um, instead of everything being problematic in in lineal furniture's case nothing's really a problem so I've been very fortunate to be put into a role here at Lineal where uh, Vanessa will take care of all the marketing and sales and Mark will take care of all the production and manufacturing and I can clearly focus on just design, which is quite a unique thing to be able to do. Um, So therefore we're all challenging each other. You know, Vanessa challenges us on, well, are we going to be able to sell these things? Are, Are they marketable? Um, well, there's a very marketable idea staring at me 
which you kind of think, why hasn't it been done before? But you've got this little marquette. It looks like it's in uh, timber and marble, and it could be an island bench, it could be a table, but it's quite beautiful the way you've given the appearance that one end of the marble has kind of just been folded in on itself, almost like paper. Correct. Quite beautiful. And you look at something like that and you think, that would be extraordinary as a central island unit Mm. in a kitchen. If you only had that, that would be enough. Why is it that people don't seem to take ideas a little bit further? Why is it that most kitchen island benches are just a slab of marble, slab of timber? I uh, I think there's a pushback when it comes to complications um, and traditionally you know the island bench was you know marble and then we had the waterfall end which was you know seemed to be a revelation and which everyone copied but nowadays with the advent of the equipment that's available and CNC cutters and you know we can virtually do anything with metal stone um, and it's just your, your imagination now that is the limiter um, in the past this piece here would be virtually impossible to build. Mm-hmm. Now, um, with you know a computer program and uh, marble that's cut to you know precision, um, we can do this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know, having the people behind us, having the manufacturing base behind us, who are very pro about getting it built and getting it built well, mm-hmm. that's the other thing. And, you know, getting it built is one thing. Getting it built well so that it will last the t- test of time is a whole other. So when everyone's on the same page and, and we're dedicated to that end, uh, I just can't see it not working. So, John, things like the island bench that I'm looking at, that can be part of someone's kitchen going oh, forward. Yeah. yeah, it could be part of someone's kitchen. It, on a smaller scale, it could be a coffee table. On a larger scale, it could be a dining table. Um, it, it, you know, in apartment use, it can actually be both. So you could use one end as a kitchen preparation area, and the other end as seating. So it has. We, we we've been thinking about it, its potential use, and um, we believe that you know, even in the apartment sphere, um, this is something that could work quite nicely. Um, John. This is a really delightful design. It's kind of like an old-fashioned Victorian love seat. It is. It is. Quite <laughs> delightful. Whimsical. It's um, it's one of those mad pieces that I think everyone needs, um, even though you don't really need it. It's one of those things that I imagine yeah. would give a room a sense of joy. Absolutely. And uh, it originally came down as a... as a bit of a challenge. I was um, fascinated with the idea of manif- making something with a minimal number of moving parts and um, yeah, the the flexible nature of the back which is you know, a flexi ply and and basically um, supporting rod so the whole chair is seven pieces um, it is it is a traditional love seat so two people will be um, sitting opposing whilst conversing well um, between each other and the s shape is made of um, it is a form ply so it's a flexible ply and um, we're actually covering the seat with a uh, a kangaroo hide. So we're kind of bringing that right in. And I think you mentioned you only use Australian leather. Only Australian leather, which is um, surprisingly very, very difficult to find. Um, Why is that, John? I think leather has now become... Hides have become a commodity, so they're traded 
internationally. So being able to pinpoint that this hide was uh, came out of New South Wales or was treated in Australia and remained in Australia is actually very rare. So um, being able to track that was very important to us. We didn't want to get caught up in you know, ordering a black hide, which, which may have come from Australia or may have come from Argentina. So it was actually, um, we found one of the last um, manufacturers in this country and it was it's actually an automotive leather. So we've gone to that extreme. So John, obviously history is really important with the design that you do, the sense of connection to either something that's Australian or mm-hmm. the history of uh, where it's been, whether it's a, a tree that's been. There's a lovely story where there was a, uh, a, a bot- botanist. Mm-hmm. Um, Tell the, me. The, um, the tree, uh, well, we, when we were initially looking for our timeline uh, prototype tree, we um, found a fellow in, um, um, he was out of Marindindi, and he had a an entire bull of um, a tree, so that's the entire trunk of the tree that's been sliced up into you know fifty millimeter increments. And this tree was a um, it was a cedar, a red cedar, and it had come from um, Dalesford. And the fellow who um, planted these trees on his property was a botanist for, um, amongst other things, the Royal Botanical Gardens here. And he went off to the US and came home with these uh, contraband seeds of red cedar and um, planted them across his property in Dalesford. And this tree naturally fell. So we don't, we're not into cutting down trees for the sake of it. Um, this was a naturally felled tree, um, which this fellow promptly picked up and sliced it into this bull. And now we have possession of this bull so that we can mm. now reproduce our tables because we have this, this entire series um, of uh, slabs that we know when they were planted, how old they are, when it was felled, and so we can accurately predict from bark to bark how old this tree is, and we can actually predict every growth ring, we know what year it is. So it was a very important thing for us, Um, and and it was a lovely backstory as well. How do you find the time with your your Architectural commissions, you know, interior work, furniture, it must be hard actually structuring your life. It is actually quite hard, um, and it's being able to take the time um, to design because there is so much noise in your office. I'm talking white noise from, you know, people wanting to speak to you and something going wrong on a site or there's a request for information. It's being able to isolate yourself and um, being able to have some think music and um, and sit down and design. And sometimes it comes at the most peculiar times. Mm-hmm. So it could be a Sunday afternoon and like I did with the um, Slater chair, it just sort of popped into my head. So you run off and kind of hide in a corner and reappear four hours later and the kids have gone, okay, Dad's in design, maybe we better just let him go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so everyone runs off. Um, I'm very fortunate that I have um, a, a wonderful um, crew of people in my office who take care of a lot of the the stuff that needs Day-to-day. to be done. Um, and in, in in turn, you know, I, um, um, I try and provide them with the time to be able to um, quietly um, go about designing, which is what we all love to do. 
it's, we get caught up in all the nonsense, but we all primarily love to design. And, John, how do you see the furniture collection lineal? How do you see it going forward? Will it be kind of pieces just evolve, one piece will... How, how, does um, it, how do you see look, it going? Um, I've done a series of pieces in here, and we've worked with, um, with Liz Dubay, and I think going forward we have an opportunity to do some work with... Um, Mark White, he's doing a project in the Northern Territory, um, and um, and we have he has set up a, a um, manufacturing area there to uh, help the Indigenous people with employment, and I, we would love to um, come up with a piece for them to produce that they can sell for themselves, mm-hmm. um, as you know, giving them this to try and get them the skills up on on manufacturing furniture. Um, going forward, I think. Um, we'll start working more and more with young designers. You know, if we see someone who's got come up great. with something and, and has got that that special knack, we will we will go and tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, would you like to come and design some stuff for us? Because in the past, there hasn't been a lot of oh, much support no. for furniture designers, for yep. Australian furniture designers. They have great ideas, mm. but how do they get them to market? Yeah, It's always been a problem because yeah. there's not the retailer here who will support them. Mm. A lot of the top-end retailers basically support European yeah. top-end furniture, and when it comes to Australian, they must be, oh, well, we're not that interested. Or mm. So there really is a gap in the market for yeah. well-designed Australian furniture. Yeah. They're, you know, they're, to, to their credit, people like Stylecraft have now started to embrace that and, and started to embrace um, Australian designers. Um, people like Chevello are, are doing that. And, and um, you know, there's been a history of people like Connell... Um, Chris Connell. With, yeah, with MAP and, um, you know, Mark Douglas with his uh, work in, in glass and, and um, ceramics. Um there has been a history there and, and of late and, and people would probably know if they went to Denfair there, there, there's some good talent out there there really well, is some good talent well I did go to Denfair I was incredibly impressed yeah. with the work that I saw Yeah, and we need to foster that we need to really embrace what's there and um, we can regenerate that that industry. I think probably one of the problems in the past when it comes to designing furniture in Australia is that people think it has to have this Australian look, (laughs) which is quite, you know, I'm not, you know, really quite, you know, timber that just, you know, in the shape, in very kind of, you know, down under signatures on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We set out at the start, we were not going to be Australiana, but we were going to be Australian. So, we steered away from that whole cottage industry look, um, which is has its place. But it's not this. It's not this. This is top-end no. furniture for people who are kind of very discerning. Yep. And, you know, they'd be equally as tempted to buy one of Linear's, Lineal's designs as a piece from a European collection. I think we're as good. And I'm not saying just lineal. I think in Australia we have designers out as good as the um, the European designers. John, would you down the track be interested in supplying overseas, or is it something that is too it, no, it difficult? Is. Um, no, it's not. We've um, we've been travelling to Milan for the furniture and design fair for the last couple of years, and there are a few companies that we've been starting to speak to who have the same um, mindset as what we do. You know, they're about design and about quality 
uh, made furniture, um, and there is a possibility that that we would go down that road. So it's something that will come in the future, and I think there's definitely an opportunity there going forward. And it's something that, you know, not being political, but something that really needs the support of government, okay. yeah, which we're lacking. John, look, it's been a pleasure having you on the program today. Thank you, Stephen. When Lineal becomes huge going forward, you'll say, I heard it first on this program. <laughs> Let's hope so. <laughs> but um, I'm really excited about this new range of furniture because I, I think there has been a gap for far too long. Mm. And I think it's, you know, it's very easy just to walk into a, des- a designer showroom and pick up something. But when you see these great designs, which will be available through... Um, New line design? New line? No, it'll be a lineal lineal, yeah. lineal outlet. I think you'll go, oh, it's, it's, um, it's been worth the wait. Thanks so much for being on the program, John. Thank you, Stephen. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you for your support. I appreciate it. You've been with Stephen Crafty, Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. Thanks so much for li- listening. <laughs>